All right, have a seat. Well, this is the last Sunday we have the kids in here. I'm like disappointed. Some of you, you know, like feel differently. That's all right. Like, I just, no, it's like, it's so much fun. Like them getting to see like how, how does the adult world operate so they know they never want to come back here again. It's awesome. But here's what we've been doing. We've been looking at this idea of love and we've been trying to kind of reshape our thinking in and around, not so much how does the world view love, but more importantly, how does God view love? And so one of the things we tried to do is we, we used a quote that kind of became consistent. We didn't, I don't even think meant for this quote to uh, be there. I hope it's, that's not my slides. Can you get me to my slides? I swear it's a great quote. Here it comes. No. Nope. So talk about the favorite thing you got for Christmas here real quick, just amongst yourselves. Yeah? Hey, there we go. All right. So anyway, we've been using this quote by Timothy Keller in which he said, the life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, and I love that, but by mutual self-giving love. This is the key thing that we're trying to get to. Most love that I think we experience in this world is very much more what do I get? And suddenly now the Bible comes in and twists this and says, no, actually, love is something that actually we grant to others. It's a self-giving love. Each of the divine persons centers upon the others. We're talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. None demands that the other revolves around him. Each voluntarily circles the other to pouring love, delight, adoration into them. Each person in the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, rejoices in the others. And I love how he finishes this last sentence. That creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. <clears throat> now, on some levels, you might think to yourself, I don't like this whole dance thing, so I don't care. Choose your metaphor. It's how the football team accomplishes what they got to accomplish. But the main thing is it's showing how inside of the Godhead we were designed to live. You see this when Jesus Christ was here. The Father puts him on display in so many different ways. The Son, or the, excuse me, the Father and the Spirit stepping behind the Son, pressing the Son out in front so everybody gets to see the Son, whether we're talking on the cross or different places. But then you'll hear Jesus constantly say that the reason that I've done this is to glorify who? The Father. Then Jesus promises in John 14, 15, and 16 that I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send a another. And the crazy thing about the one I'm going to send in Acts 2, suddenly the Holy Spirit gets put on display, the Father and the Son pressing this forward. But we know that the reason that the Holy Spirit does what he does is to bring glory to the Son and bring glory to the Father. In other words, that's what we mean by this dance. It's this constant pressing the other one to the front. Now, what's so cool about that is, is we're designed to be the same way. And in fact, I would say this, the reason Americans are so depressed is because we have made life about me, and life is not about me. It's about loving others. It's about this, what we're talking about, this self-giving love that presses others to the front. And the moment that I become the center of attention, the moment I become the main attraction, the only thing that can happen to us in the long run is we begin to be depressed because that's not how God designed us. Now, the verse that we're going to look at today, and so all of you that are kids here, your parents might need to help you a little bit. But Jesus is getting ready to leave. We know this by the time we come to John 13. And he says, look, a new commandment I give to you. Now watch this, that you love one another. In other words, how the Father and the Son and the Spirit, this is really how we have to be thinking, how we love one another. I want you to do the same thing. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. 
Now watch this. This is so important, this verse 35 thing. Whether we're talking friendships, whether we're talking marriage, whether we're talking a church, whether we're talking families, no matter what we're talking, this is the greatest apologetic, the greatest argument to the world is not the way we craft together arguments inside of our head, but watch this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the greatest apologetic. That's the greatest argument. Now, again, in our culture, it's hard to understand this concept of love. Like, I found cheesy statements. Oh, it's kind of small. So I'll read them to you. Roses are red. Violets are blue. Love never crossed my mind until the day I met you. Oh. Isn't that lovely? Oh, there's more. There's more. Here we go. You taught me how to feel the butterflies over and over and over. Oh. Everybody go, oh. See, don't you feel better about that? Here we go. Here's another one. On a scale of one to ten, you're a nine, and I'm the one you need. That's how I picked up my wife. Not good. That's how you start a good relationship. I tell you what. Here's another good one. Let's commit the perfect crime. I'll steal your heart and you steal my heart. It's okay to cry for just a second. It's all right. Now, I've saved a doozy for you. You ready for this one? Okay, this one, just because anybody that knows me and my lack of affection for Disneyland. Oh, don't say that. If you ever want to know where Hades is, it's right next to Disneyland. So, okay, here it comes. They say Disney World is the happiest place on earth, and obviously they've never been in your arms. Now, what's so cool about it, let me just say this. Even cheesy statements like that, love is not less than that, okay? Like, I still think that, like, for too many probably men, we start to, like, go through life and we're like, what? I go to work for her, you know? I mean, we're just like, that's our concept of love. We're supposed to keep romancing even cheesy, I guess. But in this, though, what the Bible's constantly talking about is love is so much more. In fact, if we relegate love to this, we've missed the point of how, again, God intends love to be brought. Now, let me do this, okay? We, we've used this, this definition, love is the enduring, willing commitment to seek the good of the other. And let me take John 13, 34 through 35, and then take the word love out, and I want to put this definition in so you can kind of feel the full impact of what Jesus is saying. Now, watch this. A new commandment I give to you that you enduringly, willingly commit to seek the good of one another. I love that. Just as I, Jesus, have enduringly, willingly committed to seek the good of you, you also are to enduringly, willingly commit to seek the good of one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have the enduring, willing commitment to seek the good of one another. Doesn't that change it a little bit? It gets it away from kind of the sappy concept of love, you know, the butterflies and the cheesy statements, and it really lends a, a, a meat to it. It lends a gravity to it. Now, the place that Jesus develops this from, <coughs> excuse me, is all the way back in John 13, 
when he showed them what exactly this looks like. Now, I think whenever we talk foot washing, it's kind of hard for us to understand foot washing because right now, if I brought you know, somebody up in on this stage and, and I'm like, Tom, I brought him up and I started washing his feet in front of all of you, you would think the two of us are very strange. Because we don't, well, number one, well, you should wash your feet, children, but we don't wash feet like we, like, we, like we used to, right? Back in the day when they would travel, they would wear sandals. And if you've ever worn flip-flops before, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. And you walk on a dirty road, you look down at your feet afterwards, and your feet are just nasty. Now, if you add to it other things like what animals leave behind, let's just say that, that starts to also get on the feet. In other words, a whole day of walking around gets on your feet, and then you come in and eat. Now, they didn't eat sitting at tables with your feet below the table. They ate. In fact, you find this out. When Jesus was eating with them, they reclined, meaning when you sat down to eat, somebody's feet were right next to your face, potentially. Now, think about that. So in other words, why did they clean feet? Because there is nothing grosser than trying to eat what you're eating with somebody's nasty feet right in your face. And so this was what they would do. They would wash feet. Now, the person that would wash feet was always the lowest of the low, usually within the household. That was kind of their job. And so in this statement in John 13, when Jesus came in and it says he took out his outer garment, the idea was is he probably only had around him his loincloth anymore, and he took the, the, the towel around him, and he walked up like a lowly servant, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, again, this would have seemed so strange. In fact, that's kind of what we start to see is everybody's looking at him, what are you doing? But again, if you go back to this statement that we were talking about before, is that he was coming to them and enduringly, willingly committing to seek the good of them. Now watch what he does here. Let's just look at this. When he had laid aside his garments, he poured the water in the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and he began to wipe them then with the towel <coughs> that was wrapped around them. Now watch this next part. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, he's sitting there going, what are you, what are you doing? No, the lowly servant does this, not you. You're the Lord, you're teacher. And what Jesus is doing in such a powerful way is he's showing them what love looks like. It turns the world upside down. And he says to him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, Peter, you're gonna start to understand this. Now, how did Peter understand if you've ever read the book of 1 Peter before, it's loaded with the concept of love. In fact, by the time you get to 1 Peter 1.22, he uses this statement of love one another, except the idea that he uses is to stretchingly love one another, meaning love one another and go past that. Jesus' point is you're going to get it. Now, here's the key part about it. Peter said to him, you're never going to wash my feet. Now, watch this. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. What does that mean? He's laying out a statement, and especially maybe for those of you in here that don't know Jesus, let me just say this. You will never be able to love like God has designed you to love unless Jesus does a work in you. This is really what we're getting at. We don't naturally love. In fact, if you don't believe me, watch little kiddos, man. From the moment that we're born, I mean, and I learned this, we've had like 20-some infants come through our house, so I've been able to learn infants. And infants learn from a very, very early age me. Now, it doesn't look like that. It looks like, oh, you know, they're this, they're that. No, trust me. They are very me. And then as they become toddlers, guess what else they are? Me. 
And then they go to grade school, and guess what they are? Me, just better. And then they go to middle school, which is the, like, climactic reality of me. And then high school, they don't know what they are anymore until college, and then they still are kind of unsure. But then even in our own lives, don't we know it? We just come back to me. In other words, the reason that this world is so chaotic when everybody's thinking about me, it's just a mess. Jesus' point is, Peter, I've got to change you. So the question is, what does it mean to change us? Well, in Ephesians 2.1, we see this, that the reality of every person that sits in this place and this world is that before Jesus Christ, we were just dead. That's kind of what he's talking about in this instance, is that, Peter, I have to change you. There's a part of you <coughs> that sits inside of the human race that unless I do this work in you, you're never going to be able to love. Now, let me, let me show you something a little bit here. I brought one of my favorite things to do. Most people don't know this, but I used to be a science teacher. I know. That's, now you know why I'm such a loser. And we're going to talk today about cucumbers. Ready? Now, this is a special cucumber. This is going to represent people today. Now, the thing about a cucumber is it's one of the most bland, boring, awful vegetables on the planet. There's nothing good about a cucumber. What's the cartoon with the tomato? You watch too much VeggieTales. Vegetables aren't really alive. His feelings aren't hurt, okay? Now in this, though, there's something, though, that takes something from a cucumber to a pickle. Something has to happen inside of it that changes it. Now, what's so cool about what changes it is, and and it's kind of this idea of pickling is, and inside of this is what's called the brine. Inside of the brine, there's vinegar, there's all different kinds of things, and there's this other important element, which is called salt. Now, what happens over time is, is that in order to preserve this, to keep it now able to be eaten later, is back in the day, we learned how to pickle, which is the idea was is to make something become either more acidic or more basic so that you could preserve something. Not only that, but let's be honest, blah, yummy, right? I mean, let's just be real honest for a second. Now, the process that takes place is so fascinating, and I'm not going to go into it fully, but in order for it to go from here to here, there's all kinds of things like acid and, and salt that come to make this thing into what it is. But after time, it goes from cucumber to pickle. It has to be changed. Now, the same thing, and let me just say this for, we're kind of trying to get with our kids, but let me, let me bring this up. We will never be able to love unless Jesus changes us. This is what he's talking about in verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in other words, we're still in sin, he made us to live together with Christ by grace you've been saved, and look at this word, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
Now, I don't know if you knew this, but the idea of the word baptize actually comes from the word baptizo, which means actually in some ways they would use it to pickle something. You'd put something in and it would come out different. This is exactly what the Bible constantly talks about, is that when Jesus saves us, he makes us different. And this is why it's so important for us that our followers of Jesus, we have the capacity to love like God has called us to love. So the question is then, how do I come to know Jesus Christ? Well, the beauty of verse 8 is, is that by grace you've been saved through this amazing thing called faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever, what? Believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's a faith that's unique. It's not of your own doing. Only God can grant this faith. It's a gift, meaning we don't deserve it. It's not a result of any philosophical system. It's not a result of anything that we've done as far as religiously. It's not a part of our societal system or our friend's system. There's only one way we can experience it, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why it says in 1 John, we love because what? He first loved us. And I love how it goes on there so that no one can boast, but here's the key. We're made different. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We weren't designed to be a pickle. We were, or excuse me. (sighs) Rewind. We weren't designed to be cucumbers. We were designed to be pickles. Now let me show you another verse here. It's really cool. In Matthew, Jesus kind of talks about this idea that we're supposed to be different. He talks about us being the salt of the earth. He talks about us being light. That something he said happens in us that we're to show ourselves off to the world. We're to show people, <coughs> excuse me, that we're disciples. Like, this pickle really stinks. <laughs> we're to show people that we, we are followers of Jesus. We're to light up. Now, what I want to do is I want to show you something. If you've got little kids, you might want to come to the middle because I'm gonna show you how to make a pickle light bulb. All right, so if you got kids and you want to, come sit in the middle if you want to. I'll give you a little bit of time before we shut off all the lights because you gotta see this. Now just to show you that there's really electricity going through here. Didn't I plug it in? We're having technical difficulties. Let's try that. This is going to really ruin it. Oh, by the way, do not try this at home. This is only for trained professionals. Okay, I'm having no power here. Wyatt. Am I not plugged in? This is going to really kill the illustration if I can't do this. Oh, Oh, Sunday was almost ruined. 
oh, we don't need Jesus. No, yes, we do. <laughs> okay, now, so there we go. We got it all lit up. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off the lights. Now, let me explain to you what's going to happen. Inside of a pickle is salt begins to get in there, and, and it's just on one side is this thing called sodium and chlorine, and that's kind of what we call salt. It's called NaCl. Now, when we put it in there, is you're going to watch, and suddenly to one side of the pickle, you're going to see it become glowing, and you're going to see a pickle light bulb. Now, okay, lights off. Now, watch. You've got to watch close. It's going to take a little bit. You're going to watch a pickle light bulb. Just a second. Just a second. Yeah, hopefully the alarm doesn't go off. Okay, turn the light back on. Wasn't that cool? All right, now go back to your chair. All right, because it stinks of burnt pickle up here. Now, can you put my slide back up? Now, here's the thing. When God saves us, I think sometimes what we think is, is we're being saved from going to hell, which is absolutely true. It's not less than that. But when God rescues us, he rescues us, you'll see this from this passage, to be salt. He rescues us to model and to, to be tasty, to tell the world we're followers of Jesus. But he also, he says, he rescues us to be light. And I love this last part of it that people might see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So let me finish this way. This Christmas, I pray that you've learned a ton about love, but you will never love unless Jesus transforms you. And so today, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would just say this. Today is the day to come to him, to believe in him. He has designed you to be the human that he intends you to be. He designed you to save you, to make you into one of his very own, to be able to love like he's called you to love. To the rest of the church, I'd say this. Don't settle for anything less. In our marriages, learn the dance of love. Learn what it looks like to allow the other one to be put up front and to be able to almost from an Ephesians 5 standpoint, live what it looks like for the woman to submit to her husband, for the man to love his wife like Christ loves the church, which seems so archaic, but it's all part of the dance. Parents learn not to, throw, to drive your kids up the wall, instead love them and to put them on display, but kids learn to obey your parents. Church, learn to love in a different and distinct way, in such a way that people see the salt, they see the light, and I would even say this, cornerstone, my prayer for all of us is this year, we're really good pickles. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So in the name of the Father, who adores us and had a plan, and he created us to be people that live and walk and model ourselves after him. In the name of the Son, who showed us what love looks like. He was, and maybe I'll just put quotes around this, Jesus was the original pickle. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who transforms us and makes us different and allows us to display the light of God into the world. May God bless you this year, in 2020. May you be spirit-empowered, Jesus-loving, God-adoring pickles. And all God's people said,